Crosspoint Church Sermons. This sermon was preached by Pastor Scott Kappelman during a Sunday worship service. We hope you enjoy and share the message. This morning, um, I would love for you to take a Bible and turn with me to Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16, and then we're going to also go to John chapter 11. So those are the two lake locations that I would love for you to find. While you're turning, I just want to say a word of thanks to Sarav. Uh, he preached for us last week while I was at the dance competition with Clancy, and I thought he did an outstanding job. And uh, so we're really excited about him. Dwayne will be preaching, I think, the next time I'm gone, and then Sarav again, and then Dwayne. So they're kind of rotating back and forth. And they're going to really do uh, an outstanding job teaching us from God's Word from week to week. And so I want to say a word of thanks uh, to Sarah for last week. Uh, in addition, I want to let you know kind of how the service is going to end today. We're going to study God's Word together, and then we're going to have our invitation. And then I will uh, introduce the uh, announcement video that's going to follow by Ethan Groom. And uh, while that's playing, my wife and I are going to slip out. And the reason we are is uh, we have a local church not too far from us called New Hope Baptist Church. Uh, it's out on New Light Road, and uh, they have lost their pastor back in January. If you remember, I talked about this some in the fall. Their pastor is an insurance adjuster. He's bivocational, so his primary job is the insurance company, and then his secondary job was preaching at New Hope. And then when we had the hurricane go through last fall in Florida, he was sent down to do some insurance adjusting, and they asked us to supply guys to preach while he was gone for a few weeks. And so Sarab went, Dwayne went, I think Greg Upperman went once, uh, and maybe some others. We've had Daniel Ray go in the meantime. And uh, then when their pastor came back, he decided after being away that in January, he just felt like it was time to step away from New Hope. And so they're a congregation of about 20 people, and uh, they meet every Sunday morning. And so we have ended up kind of forming an unofficial partnership, if you will, and we're providing the pastors that preach to them every Sunday. And so that's why Sarab and Dwayne and Greg and uh, Daniel Ray's been down there and Clark McGeehee, who's one of our college students. And so they're just kind of rotating week to week to week and preaching to that congregation at 11 o'clock. Since it's spring break and a lot of those guys have preached there and they've been gone, their, their primary person who's my contact, Mr. Carmichael, said, is there any Sunday you could come? and just preach so we can get to know you. You're setting all of this up for us and, and bringing the pastors every week to preach to us, and we're really enjoying them preaching and sharing God's Word. We'd love for you to come. So I'm going to go today. They start at 11. They sing three hymns and take up an offering, and then I'll be preaching. And so I'm going to try to get out of here as quickly as I can when we finish to try to get there by 11 o'clock or as close as I can. And so if if there's something you need to communicate to me after the service, don't feel like you can't do that. You can text me, but you can also just find Sarab. He's going to be out there in my place uh, shaking hands and smiling at everybody. And so if there's something you need to communicate to me, just tell Sarab. He'll scribble it down, and then he'll get that to me, and I'll get back in touch with you as soon as possible. My encouragement, though, is our church right now has a fantastic opportunity to stand with the New Hope Baptist Church while they're struggling to figure out what's next. And my hope is that they're going to be able to secure a pastor, probably by vocational, because 20 people can't afford a full-time person. But in the meantime, while they sort through that, we're going to continue to be their link and to provide guys that can go every Sunday and preach and teach God's Word. And they are so appreciative at this point of our help in that way. 
And I think as a local church, that's a part of our responsibility is to be concerned and loving toward the other churches in our area when they're struggling. And they're not really struggling. They're just a great group of people who are small in number, but they love the Lord and they want to keep having their witness in their community. And so we want to help them in any way possible. And so that's why I'm going to kind of get out of here real quickly uh, today. And I hope you'll understand. And again, Rob's my link today if you need to uh, communicate something to me. All right, with all that said, let's talk a little bit today about God's timing. Have you ever been frustrated with God's timing? And my guess is that there are probably a hundred of us here today, and we're probably all going to have to confess. There have been some seasons or moments in our life where we just could not figure out the timing of God. Now, there are a variety of ways this can come into play. Let's say maybe you're a couple and you've been wanting to have a child and it just hasn't happened yet. And after a season of trying multiple times to have a child and it hasn't happened, you begin to question, God, what is your timing? We really want to have a child. And I just don't understand why this timing can't work out. Maybe you've got a child in your family that's kind of gone into a prodigal way. And you keep waiting and keep praying. You know you gave that child an opportunity to hear the gospel. That child probably even gave his or her life to Jesus. But for whatever reason, that child's just drifted off the path that you would really want him or her to take. And so you're praying diligently right now. God, what is your time? I want to see my child come back to you and have that vibrant relationship that I tried to pour into him or pour into her. Sometimes we have health issues, and so we've not seen that coming, and it happens all of a sudden, and we're like, God, what's your timing in this? Like, th this is the worst time of my life for you to allow my body to deteriorate or have an issue that I'm facing. And so in that moment, we have questions about God's timing. Every time I think about God's timing, and by the way, this is one of the reasons I think some people would not want to follow God, is when they've had experiences where God has not come through in the timetable that they had in mind, those individuals are a little bit reluctant when his timing doesn't match their timing to want to follow him. And so this is one of those reasons sometimes people will put on the table to say, I'm just not sure I can follow God because every time I've trusted him in his timing, it hasn't worked like I thought it would. And so it always brings me back, though, to the story of Lazarus. If you remember, Jesus had three primary friends. I've talked about this a lot. I think he had 12 disciples. We know that. He had a lot of followers, but I think he had really three close friends. And we all probably need a few close friends. But I think Mary, Martha, and Lazarus were the closest friends of Jesus. They were kind of outside the ministry scope. Now, did they follow Jesus and believe that he was the Savior, that he was the Messiah? Yes, we'll even see that today. But there was just something to me as I read about this relationship between Jesus and Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. They were brothers and sisters, and then Jesus comes along, and I think He just bonded with them as friends. And so when Lazarus got sick to the point of death, Mary and Martha knew Jesus was probably the only hope, and they send a message to Jesus. And it's in John chapter 11. They send the message, and they say, Jesus, our brother Lazarus is dead, and they know it's going to spark Jesus' heart because he loves Lazarus. Why don't you come and help us? And then the most crazy thing happens. It says that Jesus delayed for four days going to where Lazarus was. And in the meantime, he dies, and he's been put into the tomb. Now, if you'll join with me in John's Gospel, I want to go to chapter 11 just to remind you of how this played out. It says in verse 17, so this is John chapter 11, verse 17, when Jesus arrived, this is after someone has notified him 
on behalf of Mary and Martha, our brother Lazarus is sick, and he knows that he needs to get there. Lazarus died. So when Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now, if you don't think there's somebody in the Scripture who would have questions about the timing of God, man, I think Mary and Martha, of all people, would have some serious questions about God's timing. We let you know, Jesus. We told you in advance he was sick and at the point of death. And you did not come in the time that we expect. Now he's dead and he's been in the tomb for four days. And that just reminds us again, sometimes the timing of God is not on our timetable and it creates tension in our lives spiritually. Now with that as a backdrop, I want you to kind of put that story and that thought on pause what I want to do today is I want to kind of go to a new series. We're going to come back and talk about the Holy Spirit, which we've been talking about for several weeks. We're going to come back to the Holy Spirit after Easter, but we're only a few weeks from Easter. I don't know if you've realized that, but you need to look at your calendar. Easter's coming quickly, and so I want to spend a few weeks talking about the Easter story. And the title of this series during this Easter season is today, uh, Tomorrow's Headlines Today. Tomorrow's Headlines Today. Because I think if we went back to the first century... And we could grab a copy of the Jerusalem Times. I don't even know if there was such a thing in that time period. But if we could just grab a copy of the Jerusalem Times, I think there would have been some fascinating headlines about these last few days and last few weeks of Jesus' life that are going to culminate on the cross and then with the resurrection on Easter Sunday. And so I want to kind of use the next few weeks to talk a little bit about tomorrow's headlines today. And I believe one of those headlines that could have been written in the first century is future king predicts his own death. Now, wouldn't that have been a capturing headline? Can you imagine that popping up on your phone? If you live in the year 2023, which we all do, we all have social media. We probably don't get the newspaper anymore, but we have these social media pop-ups on our phone from different news agencies. And what if you had one that popped up on your phone and it said, future king predicts his own death? You would probably click on that just out of curiosity. And that would be, in my opinion, one of the headlines, one of those newspaper topics of the first century is that Jesus, the future king, is going to predict his own death. And that's found in Matthew. So if you'll go back to Matthew 16, don't forget about what we talked about over in, in John's Gospel because we're going to come back and talk about that again. But I just want you to kind of go with me to one particular verse and then we'll look at some others. But let's start in Matthew 16, verse 21. From then on, Jesus began to point out to His disciples that it was necessary for Him to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, and scribes, be killed, and be raised on the third day. This is why I would call this a future king is predicting his own death. Now in this one verse, we've got a lot of material that we need to probably just kind of highlight for a few moments, and then we'll get to some other topics. But if we read this, we go back and it says it was necessary. Jesus is talking to His disciples in this instance. He's got 12 disciples. They are with Him and He's having a conversation with them. And in the midst of that conversation, He now says, hey guys, I need to tell you something that maybe we've not talked about to this point. I'm going to go to Jerusalem soon. You're going to go with Me. When we get there, there is something that's going to happen that is necessary and it is unavoidable. 
I hope we all remember as believers in Jesus Christ that God set in motion the story of Jesus that was going to lead Him to Calvary where He would die on the cross, be buried and resurrected on the third day. God set that in motion before time ever began. God knew that you and I would always have an issue that we could never overcome in this life and it was called sin. This is the problem that some people in our world currently are still struggling with. They're living in sin. They're, they're sometimes enjoying life. Sometimes when we talk about sin, we give the impression that people are not enjoying life. Even as a sinner, some people can enjoy earthly life. They can be productive. They can go to their jobs. They can earn money. They can have a family. They can be sometimes good moral people. But what they're not thinking about is there's an eternity coming. They're just living for this earthly life and there's a sin issue that has separated them from the heavenly father. And because of that, when they take their final breath, all they've done is live for the earthly life. They've missed eternity because when they take their final breath, it's over. The judgment comes for every single one of us. And when we stand before God, there's only one question. Did you know my son, Jesus? He's not going to ask, were you a good person? He's not going to ask, were you faithful to your spouse? He's not going to ask, did you raise good children? He's not going to ask, were you faithful at your job? He's not going to ask, what is your 401k at the end of your life that you left for your children and grandchildren? He's not going to ask, are you a good neighbor? He's got one question. Did you in your earthly life meet and know Jesus? And so as a result, God knew the only way for us to overcome our sin issue that has separated us from Him was to send Jesus to be the Savior and before time ever began, God started the process of getting the world ready to receive His Son, Jesus, who would become our Savior. And this is why Jesus said when He's talking to His disciples, go back to verse 21, from then on, Jesus began to point out to His disciples that it was necessary. Jesus' primary task was not to heal people. It was not to feed the masses. It was not to be an, a great teacher. Jesus's primary role was to come and die on the cross and take God's wrath for our sin, your sin and mine and the entire world's. He took that wrath upon himself and died in our place so that we, if we put our faith in Jesus, we've still got to put our faith in Jesus. His death is not just sufficient and everybody's going to go to heaven. That's not the way it works. That's universalism. But instead, it's those who put their faith in Jesus and realize His death, burial, and resurrection was necessary that are going to have a chance to be reconciled to the Father through Jesus and spend eternity with Him. And so Jesus makes it clear. I came and we're going to Jerusalem and it is necessary for me to go there because it's going to result in my death, burial, and resurrection. So then when we go back to the verse, He even mentions that that it was necessary for him to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things. Let's talk a little bit about suffering. Jesus' crucifixion is one of the most grueling things that we read about in Scripture. I've been doing my one-year Bible reading plan, and I've been walking through the book of Leviticus. I don't know if you've read Leviticus lately. There's some good stuff in Leviticus, but there's some gory stuff in Leviticus because in the Old Testament the Jewish people had a sacrificial system and anytime you committed sin, you had to go get an animal. Sometimes it was a lamb, sometimes it was a goat, sometimes it was a calf. And you had to have the priest, after you have confessed your sin, that, that priest would then split that animal open and skin it. And sometimes the animal would be burnt whole, 
but sometimes the skin would be taken off and the bowels would be taken out and those would be taken outside the camp, but then that animal would be offered as a sacrifice. There was a lot of blood in the tabernacle and the temple. It's a gory read, but all of it prepared us for Jesus' suffering at the cross. He was punched in the face. He was mocked. He was humiliated. He was scourged, which meant 39 lashes with those long cords that most likely had tied bone and shards of pottery in them so that as the lashes came down upon his body, it would drive those shards into his skin and pull it off as it was released by the person with the handle. Then he was nailed to a cross, his hands and his feet. He had a crown of thorns on his head and he was left there in order to die. He suffered. Jesus knew it was coming and it was necessary. And He said to His disciples, I want to let you know in advance, when we get to Jerusalem, it is necessary that I suffer and fulfill what was started in the Old Testament and the sacrificial system. I become the sacrificial lamb. And so He suffered. Then He says, be killed. He died on that cross. We know He died because when the Roman soldiers at the end of the day, when it was time for bodies to be taken down because the Sabbath was now approaching, they they wanted to make sure all the dead bodies were off those crosses as Jewish people because when you went into the Sabbath, when you went into this celebration of the Passover, you didn't want any dead thing hanging around there. And so they went and requested the Roman soldiers, make sure those soldiers are dead and take them down. And when the soldiers got to the other two criminals, they ran a a spear up into this area of their body so it would attack their heart and it would puncture their heart if they were still alive. But when they got to Jesus, they looked at His body and realized He's dead. And the Roman soldiers confirmed His death. They were coroners and confirmed His death. Jesus told them it was coming. And then it says, and be raised on the third day. Jesus was buried in a tomb and on the third day He was resurrected from that grave And He defeated sin and He defeated death and that's why we want to put our faith in Him. And here's what I want to show you. The headlines in the Jerusalem paper of the first century would say, future king predicts his own death. It's amazing. But there are three words that I did not talk about in verse 21 that I want to hit on real quick. Remember, we're talking about God's timing today. We kind of forgot about it because we went over to John, then we jumped back over to Matthew, and you're thinking, well, what about God's timing? Well, let's go back and look at Matthew 16, the first three verses. From then on. From then on. Those are pretty critical verses, words. Maybe you didn't catch them when you pass by because they seem like insignificant words when you're reading an entire verse that talks about the necessity of Jesus' death, it talks about His suffering, it talks about His being killed and resurrected on the third day. It's kind of easy to miss the first three words because the rest of it seems so important. From then on, Jesus began to point out to His disciples that it was necessary for Him to go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders, chief priests, and scribes, be killed and be raised on the third day. How in the world could those first three words from then on be so significant when the rest of it seems way more important? And the reason is, God has a timing always. And God does everything in His timing. Everything. Now, could you think with me for just a few minutes, how long have the disciples in Matthew chapter 16 been with Jesus? A while. 
They've been with him a while. If you go back to Matthew's gospel, chapter four, Matthew, chapter four, I want you to turn back for just a few moments and see how this works. It would make a lot more sense in my mind if Jesus from the very beginning had said to his disciples, now, look, guys, I want you to follow me, but just know from the start, I'm going to have to suffer, be killed and rise on the third day. It would make a lot of sense if he had been very upfront and forthright with this. But notice in verse 18 of Matthew chapter 4, as he was walking along the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter. We know him as Simon Peter and his brother Andrew. So those are the two people he meets first as he's walking along the Sea of Galilee. They're casting a net into the sea for they were fishermen. And verse 19 says, guys, Get ready to follow me and I'm going to suffer, be killed, and rise from the dead on the third day. That's not what it says. He didn't even mention it. Nothing about it. This is what he says. Follow me. And I will make you fish for people. And how did they respond? Verse 20. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. They didn't know what they were getting into. They had no idea. Then you keep reading, you might think, well, that's just the experience of Simon, Peter, and Andrew. No, you keep reading in verse 21 and 22. Going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John. So this is James and John. They were in a boat with Zebedee, their father, preparing their nets, and he called them. He didn't say anything about his suffering, death, and resurrection. And it says in verse 22, immediately they left their boat and their father and followed him. Isn't it interesting that in God's timing, He did not tell the disciples on the front end everything they were about to get into. He just said, guys, come follow me. Come follow me. And so then from that point, over really probably the next two and a half years, Jesus doesn't even talk about His death. He's just teaching and healing. He's talking about repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He's talking about a lot of topics, but He doesn't talk about His death, burial, and resurrection and His suffering. He doesn't even mention it. But then you get to Matthew 16. After about two and a half years in. And these guys have been walking with him. They've not ever heard this story of the suffering, the death, the burial, the resurrection. And we get to chapter 16, verse 13. When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? So it's just now he and his disciples, two and a half years into a three-year ministry. He's getting close to the cross. He hasn't talked about it yet. And so they reply in verse 14, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, still others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. Then Jesus turns the question away from the crowds and He says to them, but you, He asked them, who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter answered, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And listen to what Jesus said. Jesus responded, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, because flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. Simon Peter... Guys, it's time to talk about who you think I am. What other people saying? Oh, they're saying this, that, and the other. Well, what do you say? And Simon Peter says, you're the son of the living God. You're the Messiah. And Jesus said, you got it. You got it. My father has been revealing this to you. And then move right out of that to chapter 16, verse 21. From then on. From then on, he started talking about his necessity of death, the suffering, 
being killed and rising on the third day. God does everything in his timing. And Jesus knew as God in the flesh, the disciples were not ready for the full truth of who he was and what he had come to do until they finally confessed, you are the son of God. You're the Messiah. And once they confessed that, Jesus said, okay, it's now time to open up and let you know the rest of the story. I am here because I'm on a mission, a necessary mission that's going to lead to suffering and my death and my resurrection. And you are now ready to receive it. Here's the truth that I want to kind of give you today that you don't need to miss. And I don't think any of us as believers in Jesus need to miss. God does everything in His timing so that we might trust in Jesus. That's the bottom line. God's timing that sometimes on our part feels delayed, not on our schedule, never going to happen. In God's timing, He's working it out so that we might trust in Jesus. Once Simon Peter confessed, you're the Christ, the Son of the living God. You're the Messiah. Once he confessed that, from then on, Jesus began to tell them more and more about His coming death. But until they trusted Jesus fully, they were not ready for that truth. But once they confessed it, Jesus knew it's time. For some of us in this room today, that's our struggle. We want God to do things in our time instead of His time. And the reason He may be delaying, this is one reason He may be delaying, is we have not fully trusted Jesus. And until we fully trust Jesus, it's not going to be His timing. Because He's always driving us to trust Jesus, not ourselves. Now, can we go from there back to John chapter 11? When we left in John chapter 11, Mary and Martha are standing outside a tomb. They've been there four days waiting on Jesus. Their question is, Jesus, why didn't you come? We needed you four days ago. You are behind schedule. They had questions about the timing of God. Jesus arrives. Four days late, by the way. And when he gets there, guess what he's going to say? Martha, do you trust me? Do you trust me? If you'll go with me to John chapter 11, once again, I want to show you those verses because it's kind of fascinating. When you get to John chapter 11, we're going to pick up reading in verse 23. Your brother will rise again. Jesus said, Martha said to him, I know that he will rise in the resurrection at the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. And then listen to Jesus' question. Do you believe this? Martha, do you believe in me? You're here questioning my timing, but really what I'm trying to get out of you is an answer to a really important question. Do you trust me? 
And listen to what she says in verse 27. Yes, Lord, she told him. I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God who comes into the world. God does everything in his timing. But it always is for the purpose of us learning to trust in Jesus. And Jesus showed up four days late to make sure Mary and Martha trusted him fully. And when he said to Martha in this particular instance, I'm the resurrection and the life. Do you believe in me? Do you trust me? She said, yes, I trust that you're the Messiah, the son of God. I trust you. And you know what happened right after this? Jesus walked over to the tomb and he said, Lazarus, come forth. And I've done this before, but you remember he's all tied up because he's already in his bed uh, burial clothes. So he's bound. He has to come out. And he's alive. And Jesus says, loose him. Let him go. He's alive. But he didn't do it. He didn't do it until he first knew Martha trusted him as the Messiah. I want to challenge you to think through that sometimes God's timing is delayed because he's waiting for us to trust him fully. Now that leads me to ask today, why should you trust Jesus? Do you trust him? Because you might be here today and you're a little skeptical and and you're thinking, why would I want to trust Jesus? Why is that so important? Well, let, me, let me give it to you this way. Since Jesus predicted in advance, since Jesus predicted in advance His suffering, death, burial, and resurrection, and it all went down just like He said, I think that's worthy of somebody's trust. Because if the future king can predict his own death and his resurrection, I think he might be trustable. And so today, if you're struggling with trust, I want to remind you, Jesus is God in the flesh, and he did just what he said he was going to do. He went to Jerusalem, suffered, buried after he was killed, and resurrected on the third day. I think we can trust him. So trust Him and then watch for God's timing to unfold. Let's pray together this morning. Heavenly Father, um, as we move into the invitation, there might be someone here today who's been struggling with trusting You, the timing of what You're doing. And maybe You drew that individual into this room today just to be reminded that the issue is not Your timing, it's the person's trust. And so we pray in these moments that we have together to respond after we've worshipped you through song and worshipped you through the study of your word. It's my prayer that if there's something you're stirring in someone's heart by the power of your spirit, that, that man or woman would respond in obedience and trust you. Trust you with the situation. Trust you with the heartache. Trust you with whatever it is that he or she is going through. May this be a moment where our trust in Jesus grows so that your plans can be fulfilled in our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.